In this episode, I'm pulling my most popular episode from the vault. All the way back at the beginning of last year, I sat down with Principal Rob Lands and we unpacked 10 actions schools can take to prioritise staff health and wellbeing at the beginning of the year in a way that actually addresses the needs of staff and promotes a positive school culture. Stay tuned. Welcome to Well-Led Schools with Adrienne Hornby. On this podcast, we talk about all things staff well-being, school culture and leadership. Join me for incredible and rich conversations with a range of experts who will give you tips, tricks and inspiration to best support the well-being of the staff in your school and yourself. I'm your host, Adrienne Hornby, a health and wellbeing consultant and former school leader. I partner with schools across Australia to tailor and embed staff wellbeing action plans aimed at addressing staff burnout and building positive working environments. Hi everyone, this is Adrienne Hornby. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of the Well-Led Schools podcast. I think it's safe to say that staff wellbeing has never been more affected and more of a priority than now. This year, many schools have very thoughtfully focused their efforts on staff's wellbeing. But unfortunately, a few well-intentioned morning teas, after-work drinks or a one-off wellbeing workshop at the beginning of the year is not going to be enough to address the complex needs of the leaders, teachers and staff in our schools. A well-planned and carefully considered approach to your staff's well-being is the most effective way to support your staff in 2024 and beyond if you want to make any changes that actually move the needle. So where to start? Well, back at the beginning of last year, I was joined by my favourite guest and co-host and, of course, a good friend, Principal Rob Lands, to talk you through the top 10 actions that I recommend schools begin with when seeking to improve culture and boost staff well-being at their school. Using this approach, you can stop the surface level strategies to staff well-being and begin to make a bigger difference in your school. From giving staff a voice, reflecting on leadership capacity and ensuring staff are checked in with, right through to supporting the identity discovery, goal setting and reflection of all staff members and teams. Everything you need to know about kicking off this year with purpose is inside of this episode. I hope you enjoy. This episode is brought to you by our signature Well-Led Schools Partnerships a 12-month program that brings leaders and staff together to create a shared vision for their school and empowers them to create an action plan that leads to needle-moving changes in school culture and morale. Doors to our partnerships open only once per term. Stay updated on program openings and sign up for the waitlist at adriannehornby.com.au forward slash school hyphen partnerships. All right. Welcome back, Rob. Thanks so much for joining me. So for those of you listening, Rob has very graciously agreed to come back and feature on on some of the podcasts so that I'm not here talking to you guys on my lonesome and we can actually bounce ideas off each other, which is always fun. So coming into the new year, you might be starting to, to think about how you can best support your staff for the year ahead. So starting off the year on the right foot. 
So considering what actions you might actually take to address staff stress to prevent burnout and impacted staff mental health. So today we're actually going to be covering off on 10 steps that you can take in 2023, particularly in term one, that are less likely to be perceived as surface level or tokenistic and that your staff will actually respond to. So my first question for you, Rob, is what are some of the more surface level or I guess less effective wellbeing approaches that you've seen or experienced in your time? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think I've seen a lot of tokenistic things happen across this, uh, you know, schools where in, the intent is to do something that's that's meaningful and, and benefits people. Yeah. But it just misses the mark. Mm. And, I, you know, there's countless times where I started a, a school year and this is, you know, when I was a teacher in the first 10 years and one of the staff members rocking up to those peels and I remember going to them and thinking, I don't even know why we're talking about mm. this stuff. Like, mm. what's the point? Mm. What's the consecutive, you know, measure of what's happening in this space? What's the purpose to it? And so having those PLs that were actually meaningful and on point was the first thing to engaging me as a staff member because I knew that what we were doing had context and yeah. had meaning and what's could be the, used. What's the vision behind it that extends beyond just this is our strategic goal? Like exactly. Why we're doing it, how it benefits you. Big picture. Yeah, and then... You know, we talked about it on the last episode. How is it seeking the involvement? How does it speak to the staff themselves? And how do they recognise the value behind that? Yeah. 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 Some of those token, tokenistic things, I remember being sent on countless, uh, what's the word, where you go running around from different point to point in the school, scavenger hunts yeah. or something, and yeah. you just think, well, that's oh, great. You know, this is great, scavenger hunt. It's, it's kind of fun. I'm with staff, but what's the purpose? Mm. You know, what are we doing? Is yes. it to build relationships? If it is, then great. Make it crazy fun and whack, and, but let me know that that's the mm. point. Mm. Or is it to learn something that we're going to use in terms of our professional learning? Yes. And if that's the case, then make it rich and make it, yeah. you know, make me discover things and learn things that are going to be useful. Yeah, it's almost like communicating the old learning intention behind exactly. it. We've done some fun scavenger hunts, and yes, they were to build relationships, but you're so right. It's around, are we making that known to staff? Because majority of staff or most staff might know, but there are some staff who won't see the value in it and won't recognise it, perhaps because we haven't communicated it well. If you could be a fly on the wall in those situations, that's when you'd, ha- you'd get your greatest learning, when mm. you'd hear stuff going, what's the point of this? Mm. Why are we doing this? Or I don't understand the context. Mm. If you could hear those comments at those times, you'd be able to go, right, I, I know what I need to do to yeah. communicate effectively. Big focus of even with the Well-Led Schools Partnership is in every session that I come into now with staff and leaders is communicating the vision of the session, but overall now the vision of the whole program and plan yeah what are we actually doing in our year together because again there are staff who are like this is great and well-being is such a great focus but for those who don't understand why you're doing it um, and the and the reason behind it they are the ones who are going to be resistant no matter how good the initiative is it's so smart to make sure that yes you're you're putting that across you know i think back to remember we had to leave work sort of earlier one day and we went out to a well-being afternoon at one of the big schools here in act Mm -hmm. and it was so hot and full of so many people and they had like massages and yoga that you couldn't even get into and you couldn't even move around it was it was not good for your well-being. It was anti-well-being. <laughs> yeah, and but then you see that the intention Intense. was there, yep. Yep. but it wasn't really thought through. And that's where you go, oh, we're just going to run this awesome well-being sort of conference thing. But 
it it's not well thought out. It's mm-hmm. just kind of slapping a few things together, and that's it. It's all about the thought behind all of the decisions. Make it purposeful. Don't just tick a box. Yeah. Yes, exactly. All right. Well, we're going to dive into 10 things that are certainly not surface level or tokenistic. And in fact, they they go to those deeper those deeper layers and levels and, and really ensure that we're focusing on building a positive school culture, um, getting that buy-in from staff in the process. And that, of course, starts off with, with step number one, which is to conduct a whole school scan of staff well-being. And a whole school scan is taking a big overall big picture look at what's happening in your school. So how are staff faring? What are their top stresses? What initiatives do they feel uh, are working in terms of health and wellbeing and building positive culture and just, school, you know, school uh, functionality and, and leadership in general? So like a big thing coming into this year I would encourage schools to do is to actually involve your whole staff in that process of talking about staff wellbeing and school culture and 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 what's going on in your school and being open to to that feedback. And this process isn't just about you discussing in a leadership team meeting as to, oh, how are our staff going? Oh, well, they're burnt out or they're really struggling or, um, you know, they're finding their admin load too high. Again, it's about asking our staff, and we can do that through things like staff surveys, but conversations. Oh, who thought it? Talking to our staff at the beginning of the year about how they're feeling about the year ahead, what they need, um, what they'd like to see the school doing to support their well-being. Um, you know, in teams or even just from our leaders, but as as a whole school. And this is something that we often we don't often do. And I'm guilty of it early in my career. We would, you know, maybe just talk about it in a leadership meeting and then that would be it, right? Or, you know, part of the scan is looking at any collected data that we've got in terms of staff well-being and culture. And it's about looking at multiple data sets, not just one, and trying to identify themes. And we can get our school climate data, albeit that we get it a year after we run we run the survey. But just looking at that that sort of piece of data on its own isn't enough. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about going, okay, well, our climate data says that there's not much collaboration happening or um, the opportunity to uh, get together and understand the vision or, or work with peers. And then our staff might be saying, yeah, we feel like we're siloed um, or we feel like our planning time isn't best used. So then we can start to go, okay, well, the climate data is saying this, our staff are saying another thing, and we as a leadership team are witnessing that or hearing our staff talking about it. Um, so that's that's the foundation of all of the work that I do. It's step one in my six-step model to becoming a well-led school, which is to scan the school. And, um, you know, again, the problem that we're seeing is that many leaders are just doing that on their own and not involving their staff. One thing, Adrian, that I love about the concept of your, your well-being scan is staff knowing that it's not going to be a one-off, mm-hmm. that it's going to be something that is on the table and, and, and keeps coming back to, um, you know, something that's long-lasting, something that gets reviewed, something that's ongoing as a priority. Yeah, and that's, well, the idea of a scan comes from the Timpley spiral of inquiry mm-hmm. and the spiral is never-ending. And this is the thing, we have to scan and review what's going on. And, you know, the, the, the spiral of inquiry is really used to inquire into student learning and curriculum areas. But I think that that same careful attention can be made to, to staff well-being. And the whole idea is that you scan 
first to to diagnose and identify any challenges or or things that are happening across the school and from there the inquiry goes into well what new learning do we need to engage in it's around developing that hunch how might we all be contributing to that situation Mm -hmm. and then therefore taking action from there and then at the end you check back in did what we put in place actually make big enough of a difference and if it didn't what do we need to do next? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And how do we go about it? Yeah. And I think, you know, diving into that anonymous staff or being survey first is one good uh, p- piece of data to look at, but it should not be the only one. Mm-hmm. Um, it's great because it's something that you can continue to redo. And I recommend that schools do it every year at the same time of the year. Uh, also being mindful that you get new staff coming in as well. Uh, but it's just a, almost doing like a bit of a health check. <laughs> like, how are we going? Um, what are people liking that we're doing? Where can we pivot to and go to next? Because you, you're kidding yourself to think that things will be perfect at any time. Mm-hmm. Um, and we focus on one area for a while, and then we might need to jump to another area, particularly yeah. when it comes to health and wellbeing and culture. I mean, it's a beast. It's interwoven into everything that we do. It is. And the beauty of this is if you're on top of this from the start, you can prevent it getting to a level that it becomes harder to, to get out of. Yes. You know? So making sure that you, you keep it in, in, a, in a place where you can continue to refer to, like you said, and go back to and review and touch on and have conversations with. I went into a school once where it was so diabolical as, a, as an external person. I came in, I ran individual interviews with every mm. single staff member in that school mm. to hear what it was God, that their issues were. so good. Now, now that, but that was the dire sort mm. of you know state mm. of what was happening at that school. We got what we got from that was something amazing, and where we went to was was again somewhere amazing. But it it came from having to do what your scan would do mm. every year mm. on that surface level if you continue to do it. You know that allows you to then get underneath and get deeper, mm. um, and that's the importance of it. And you know the thing that I did enabled us to do that, but it was an extreme measure. Yeah, you know, keeping on top of that. But part of the scan too is having the discussions in teams. Mm -hmm. So leaders running, asking the same questions. You know, what's the environment feeling like? How is the overall um, staff well-being looking and feeling to everybody? What's what are we doing already for well-being? What's working? What's not working? And you can have those conversations in teams. And then I encourage leaders to be having it one-on-one with their staff, who they really, in an ideal world, would be checking in with quite regularly anyway. And, you know, I think back to when we came back from COVID, that was one of the first things I was encouraging the team to do is as we re-enter, how's your wellbeing? What have we been doing? Um, What have we been doing well? What could we do differently? What do you need to support you? And just knowing that straight off the bat, it doesn't mean you have to wave a magic wand and it's all fixed, but it builds an awareness. If we put the blinkers on, or we we don't want to dive into that information, then we're just we're, we're going to start introducing wellbeing initiatives that are lovely, but in an in essence a waste of our time. Yeah, yeah. And exactly staff right. more often than not are not asking for more staff get-togethers. They definitely need to be part of it because that's a part of building culture. But a lot of the time, it's around communication, student management leadership practices clarity on direction <laughs> I think someone that's willing to listen to what they yeah. want to say doesn't yes. matter how trivial you as a listener think thinks it is yeah. but they need to have that opportunity to say this is my concern mm. and have someone that genuinely listens mm. well that's you know one of the key parts of transformational leadership yeah. is having that involvement where staff have a voice and it's one of the guiding principles of a well-led school 
too is 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 that all staff have a voice and can provide feedback but then also self-awareness and awareness in general is the first key to any real change yep yeah um we can't just make assumptions when it comes to well-being All right, so step two then is to begin reflecting on our capacity as a leadership team. So when it comes to staff health and wellbeing, leaders should be skilled in or trained in practices that help them to understand and support the wellbeing needs of their staff and demonstrate strong emotional intelligence. And this is a hard one because... We don't get given that training when we come into educational leadership. Mm-hmm. Instructional leadership is kind of the, the thing that departments push, and I, I understand, rightfully so. But um, transformational leadership, which involves all of that co-created vision, co-created goals, um, a shared understanding, those personal traits that are required for us to connect with people, to build relationships, to be able to read people in general is so essential in a highly emotional and relational focused profession. And it's quite often disregarded. But I think like the tides are turning and things are really changing after COVID. But term one is really that time to reflect on your capacity and skills as leaders and as a team and discuss where your professional development um, priorities might be. That doesn't mean you necessarily have to go off and, you know, do a master's in that or, or, or do a diploma in positive psychology. But just even reading professional readings on transformational leadership or on emotional intelligence in, in education is really valuable. It's so important. You're right. And mm. when it comes together as a leadership team, it's the concept that the staff understand the leadership team as a whole are on a journey together yeah. or in the same direction. You know, we use the term, you know, being on the same bus, going in the same direction. Mm. Because if they don't feel that everyone's committed to those things and to the concept of staff well-being, then they won't believe it's genuine. Yeah. So everyone does need to know their capacity mm. and the leadership team needs to identify what areas they need to train in or work on mm. to make sure staff feel supported. And being open about any gaps that you have. Mm-hmm. I think that being vulnerable and um, and sort of open-minded and communicating that with your staff is really important. And I know that that's quite a hard concept for, for many people to grasp, but owning that you, you don't have all the answers and you don't have the knowledge, but you're working on it. And it comes back to that point of just listening to staff, taking it on board. You know, I was t- talking with my husband recently around you know, he was saying there are a number of staff who come to him. He works in management profession in, in a different industry. Um, and he said, you know, what do I do with all of this feedback that keeps coming to me? And I was like, write it down in front of them. I'm writing that down and I'll see what I can do and going and taking it away. And it makes me think about all those conversations after I'd run a team meeting and then I'd come in, park myself in your office and run through all of the dot points, of all of the issues that were raised. And if I could get an answer or give an answer, I would. And then, I, you know, otherwise I'd come back and be like, oh, I guess we're working on that. Mm-hmm. And being open-minded to communicating that we don't have all of the skills or know all of the answers yet. Precisely. Yeah. It's a genuine vulnerability. Mm. It's not a vulnerability in the sense that, uh, you know, I'm, I don't know what's going on and I'm a terrible leader. It's a vulnerability in going, you know, sometimes the environment, the dynamic changes and we mm. don't have all the answers to what's happening in that process. But we'll walk through that process with you. And we'll support each other along the way. Absolutely. That's a genuine vulnerability. Yes. And people, that 
shows people and builds trust. Mm. You know, mm. it works. And for you know, for some people listening, they might be thinking, I don't even know where to start on that. So what I've actually developed is a leadership reflection tool, and I'll link that in the show notes. And this tool actually helps you just to self-reflect on your capacity and skills and your approach to leadership. And this could be something that you do either on your own or even as a team, and you can discuss your reflections as a team, and you think, mm. oh, I actually don't communicate any vision to my team because I'm not sure what it is. And what a great conversation to have as a leadership team. Um, That's not something you have to be like, oh, my God, we're doing it all wrong. It's just, well, how can we develop and grow here? Some some teams might go, oh, in terms of shared goals, that's not part of my professional practice. And the rest of the room might go, oh, me either. Or it could be an interesting conversation if lots of the leaders are actually setting goals and there are a few who aren't. Oh, we need to agree on some kind of united approach that we take as a leadership team to be able to support our staff beyond just the morning teas and the after work drinks. Spot on. Mm. Something that's meaningful to them that they carry away and go, those those people care. Yeah. They care yeah. about what we do. Yeah. And I think of all the conversations that we had at school around that. Oh, yeah, we, you know, we th- I'm thinking about PLC and we'll talk about that really soon. We always thought we were a PLC school. And then a couple of years down the track, we realized we just were saying we were, but we weren't actually doing it. Exactly. So we then came back, okay, well, we, let's all go and set norms again. Um, and we decided on that as a group. And then we all moved forward and there was that consistency and that word came up in our last, in episode two. Mm. Um, but but opening up those conversations as a leadership team is so powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's what makes the difference. Ah, oh, this, you know, I must have known this was coming. Of course I did. So step three is to review your professional learning community or PLC model. So majority of states across Australia, uh, we're embedding PLC models. And this is, this is often directorate led. Um, and, you know, aside from ticking your operational boxes to improve teaching and learning and focus on student learning and growth and embed those strategic approaches, PLCs are actually an excellent way to link and tick off school level priorities like staff wellbeing and department initiatives. So, um, PLCs are actually an awesome way to promote staff wellbeing because it's all about collaboration, connection, shared vision and goals. It's very transformational, uh, as is some kind of inquiry model too. So uh, you might be working in a directorate or even an education office, I'm thinking in the private sector, that don't follow PLC, but I'm sure that there's some kind of inquiry model or action research that you're doing. So you would maybe think of that through this same lens. But often many schools will claim that they're PLC schools or claim that they do inquiry, but they've just merely named their staff or team meetings PLCs, but don't actually implement this, you know, implement or fully immerse the school in the entire process of being a PLC aligned school. And um, this is something that we have to kind of own and, and look into and refer. And, I really encourage schools as you go into 2023 to reflect on the maturity of your school's PLC um, as a whole staff. And actually, Victoria, a Department of Education, has a really good maturity matrix that you can access online and, and download and think as a leadership team and as a staff, where do we sit? And be honest and reflect on what are the qualities of a PLC that um, that you're exhibiting. And then from there, you can think, okay, well, what are our next steps? And I remember us doing this process, just even highlighting, it's like a table uh, and moving through. And then we can ask our staff on, on feedback on the school's PLC model, because this gives us the avenue to move forward. It gives you the strategies mm-hmm. um, and the actions to... Um, 
to be able to put in place and focus on in the new year, which is great actually for your strategic plans. It's brilliant for strategic plans. <laughs> yeah. What it gives the staff is the confidence that they, they know that they'll be heard as well. So it's an avenue for communication in terms of those PLCs. Yeah. And it's something that, it, you know, when it's set in your agenda and your whole team is off at the same time and you're working together in these constructs, um, they know that there's opportunities there that they can bring up and mm. review and come back to data and, and check on things and change elements based on what's happening. So that context of that professional dialogue within a PLC mm. is you know, gold. Yeah. But even the basics of just setting your norms Mm -hmm. at the beginning of next year and having your smart goals and setting up your meeting agendas to follow that process. Like those are just the basics, but they make such a big difference and they ensure consistency Consistency. across the whole school. It's an avenue. It's it's another opportunity to check in on what's Mm. happening in their wellbeing as well, though, in those those environments, because the team is the core of what's happening across the space that they're leading with those students. And a lot of the time, yes, workload is a big thing for wellbeing. We talk about that all the time. But staff also get really frustrated when there's no consistency and when there's no vision and direction and we're not all doing the same thing. Like, why is one team doing this but we're doing another? Why are their expectations here but mine are here? A PLC really helps to... Uh, to align and um, you know find that happy medium across the school and not to 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 uh, produce the same thing in every classroom no. that, that's not it at all but to produce a system a system or a systematic understanding that mm. we're achieving what we need to achieve to get to our goals yes yeah you can get there in a different way yeah yeah so again I'll link the the um, the maturity matrix in the show notes but also there's a great reading we looked at it too rob the futility of plc light mm. which is a short but really great reading that you can send out to all of staff that mm. reminds them uh, of what it actually takes to be a plc and the common mistakes that ha- that are happening across schools who just claim they're a plc mm-hmm. um but aren't actually living and breathing it anymore and you know another actually really interesting conversation that came up with the school I'm working with in Victoria just this week actually was around how PLC is really pushed in the Victorian system but they felt like they've just been in survival mode and haven't actually been able to attend to it and they recognize how it does promote that relationship building and collaboration and that shared understanding and moving towards a common goal Um, so you know there might be some schools who are here listening going oh, that's not even something that we could think about um, because of how dire things were in our community or or in our state. And, you know, I I totally recognise and understand that it's very different state to state. And this is why next year is the the opportunity for you to dip your toe back in the water and refocus again now that we're kind of feeling a sense of normalcy to some degree again. Yeah, and it's, it's really important. We touched on this in the last episode as well, but that parallel approach... You know, you can't be focused completely on that one concept. It needs to work together. So that well-being of the students and the staff needs to work in line with the behavior or with the context of what's happening across the school or with the curriculum of the school. So those things partnering together needs to be balanced. Um, You know, we might be coming out of a position where we think we're in a dice straits or, you know, that we're in survival mode. Mm. But then without the other half of what's going on, you're not balanced. Yes. So parallel approaches to these things help people to feel secure. Mm. And that comes back to the scan. It's like you scan to find out where you're at and now what's the next step. We don't have to get back to where we were, but we can't We can't just plateau forever. Mm. Um, we have to go, all right, this is where we're sitting and this is where we'd ideally like to be, but the next step for us is to work on this. Yeah. And then that gives our staff a level of expectation but hope. 
two of where we're going. Yeah, true. Yeah. All right, my next recommendation, so so step number four to focus on as you re-enter 2023, is to create a staff check-in system. We got really good at doing check-ins throughout the pandemic. Um, I know that we did in our school in particular, so um, making sure we're checking in on students and families and, and staff. But this is just something that we need to be doing all the time, and we often forget this. And it's really important that each staff member has the chance to speak with a member of the leadership team at some point regularly. Um, And that involves us as leaders asking how staff are, where they need support, who can help them, asking for any suggestions or reflections on school processes and opening up that conversation uh, to involve staff in our development change growth process. We're ultimately always growing. So so we should be asking for that feedback. But part of this too is around checking in with staff and and how they're going not only in their professional life but in their personal life. That doesn't mean we have to dive into things. No. Um, but but just, just that we see letting them know that we see them as a person, not only a professional. So important for relationships. So... You know, some of the, the, the things that I think of to get this process started is discussing as a leadership team uh, which staff fall under which leader. So whether that's year level or subject area or faculty, whatever it is, whether you're in primary school or high school. And I guess in many ways, we set up a system of who, who we'll be checking in with. And um, drawing up that plan of being able to check in with each staff member at least weekly. It, it doesn't have to be formal, but it can just be informal, touching base and seeing how they're going and, and building that relationship over the time. Um, and then explaining to our staff and our teams about staff check-ins and checking in with one another and, and how that will look and what they can expect from us um, and ensuring that there's that consistency across the board. We can't have, you know, five out of ten leaders checking in with their staff and the other five not that's the the first way that you're going to get your staff um you know off board they're not they're not going to like that but then that's not a reason for not doing it at all because they're seeing it anyway Mm -hmm. but that's something that you know really should be an expectation that we're that we're doing across the school and you know even organizing a regular check-in time each week with each of our staff and agreeing as a leadership team on what to ask about or check in on um, and then adding even agenda items to leadership meetings every now and then just to report back on how our teams are going, what's mm-hmm. coming up. Mm-hmm. You know, we are talking about before me sitting in, in your office each week with my plan and with all of the questions or concerns that came up with the team. Precisely what I was thinking yeah. about. I mean, that's exactly what we did as a leadership team. I had times where you guys um, checked in with me weekly. But it was more of the context of knowing it was there. There were plenty of weeks where we said we don't need to do it. Yeah. You know, or we moved on from it or we you know, were too busy to, and we had something else. But the, the knowledge that we had that opportunity to individually mm. communicate what we needed to with the person who was our, you know, yeah. let's say our boss or our supervisor or our leader in that context gives the staff that security knowing that if there's something niggling, it's not quite needs to be discussed right now. I can save it to the meeting that I know is going to come up them perfect mm. you know yeah i remember even in our check-ins it would be like how's your team going mm-hmm. and and that was the opportunity to think and go oh well x is really struggling here and i think they might need some coaching there or things are at home are a little bit touch and go 
And it's just building that awareness across the school. Exactly. Reflecting on those faces. Yeah. And I mean, with the levels of staff who are reporting that they're experiencing stress, burnout and impacted mental health, which is approximately, you know, some some schools, but on average with some studies, 75% of staff are reporting stress often to multiple times in their day. And the data I'm seeing is around 64%. Um, But in terms of burnout, we're looking at about 54% of staff. That's crisis point. Mm. If we don't have check-ins, I mean, we're not tending to the needs of those staff. And then you've got around 35% of staff who are experiencing a mental health challenge. So, that, yeah, that's the data I'm collecting with my survey. So that was in that was in 2022. Um, but, I mean, that schools right across the country uh, seems, to, seems to be the average. But in some schools it's more mm-hmm. and in others it's less. And we need to be mindful. And that's where the scan helps yep. because we go, oh, right, we've got 70% of our staff are reporting high stress or burnout. So then what do we need to do to tend to those needs? And that's where the systems of the check-in come in to support you because that's mm-hmm. where you catch yeah. You know, those staff that are on the edge. Yes, totally. All right, starting off 2023, uh, I highly encourage that we reflect on teacher identity and set goals with every staff member. So actually one of the emerging themes in the most current research on teacher wellbeing explains how many teachers have lost their sense of identity, which makes total sense, particularly in in states where there was that long period of lockdown and home learning because we we were totally out of our comfort zone and in many ways we thought we weren't doing a great job our our students learning has suffered um we take that really personally so you know the the main advocacy i guess across a lot of those those research papers is that our staff need support to refocus on who they are uh, now that they're back at school, and I know we've been back for a full year, but it has been a survival, or a little bit longer, but it has been a survival mode uh, t- period of our lives. Uh, but it's about helping our staff to recognise why they got into teaching in the first place, because people are forgetting that, which mm-hmm. is exactly why they're leaving. Mm-hmm. There, it, there's a big purpose pull into this profession, and we're forgetting that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because we're getting so uh, so weighed down by all of the other complexities of our roles. So to do this, the start of the year when you get, you know, you get assigned your new team, I highly encourage leaders to be planning those one-on-one discussions with each of their staff to review elements of teacher self-image and, so, you know, that's their views of themselves as a teacher, their motivation, so why they got into teaching, um, you know, assessing their commitment or dedication to the profession and not in a judgmental way. It's just, you know, why did you get into this in the first place and what do you really, what have, what have you set out to achieve? Um, their perceptions around their self-efficacy, so what they perceive as, as their strengths and skills and, and capabilities and how we can lean on that for the remainder of the year. Imagine if you knew um, that one of your staff members really highly valued their ability to connect with students or to teach the literacy program. That's something that you can go in and provide feedback on to create a relationship. Yep. Yeah, link them up with other staff members. What a great way to bolster somebody's self-confidence. And other people's skills. Yeah, yeah. But just being able to tap into that. So, you know, a big el- a big element of being a, a really effective leader is being able to provide feedback. But I would honestly say the first avenue to be able to do that is to be able to give feedback on a strength and start there understanding your staff's qualities and, yeah. and using them in a space that gives them the confidence to want to do more yeah 
yeah, you don't want somebody coming in and pulling you up on the things that are your weaknesses straight away. Some personalities do, mm-hmm. but in general, if we if we're skilled in an area, we'd like to be recognised for that. Yep. Um. So so starting there is really important, and then you know part of that process is well. Who are you as a professional or practitioner now and where do you want to go? And then that helps you to recognize, oh, okay, I need some help with student management um, or, you know, I find it really hard to manage my time, whatever it is. And then you can go, okay, well, I can support you or I can buddy you up with the person in year five who I know is really good at that because we've all run that same process with all of our staff and we can talk about it as a leadership team to be able to buddy people up. Yeah, perfect. And that's how we can do check-ins as well is to buddy stuff up with one another. So a lot of systems and departments will run um, professional development plans or teacher development plans, and they, you have elements of these kind of questions, but otherwise you can actually download um, some teacher identity discovery questions from my website. Again, I'll link those in the show notes. But just weaving them into your conversations over a coffee at the start of the year strategically. Finding a way to make those things purposeful because mm. everybody knows at the start of the year you have your APD or whatever you do. Mm. And it doesn't mean anything because you just write down a couple of goals and you reflect it at the end of the year. Yes. You need to make it something purposeful, like you said, where where teachers find a way or or leaders find a way to reinvigorate the passion of what's happening with Mm. the staff member because that's what's going to make our profession great. Mm. When we have teachers that are working towards the best outcomes that they can for themselves and for their students. Yeah. Because then our profession, you know, is at the top of its game. Yeah. And that's what we need across our community space as well to reflect on that. Yeah, we got really smart with those teacher development plans to make them almost like an intake for our coaching and mentoring we did so we all all of the leaders ran it and then from there we then came back and were like all right these people in this team are looking at maths they have a maths focus these people have an english focus there's student behavior and then we could we could partner them up with either the behavior coach or somebody who was just great at doing maths they could do lesson observations it was just a way to form connections and and meet our staff where they were at and support them to grow Exactly. Yeah. And made it purposeful. Yeah. And it was an, an, an in-house ability to coach and mentor mm. those staff in those goals that they wanted to yes. set and, and build on. Those TDPs or PDPs are such a valuable process if you look at them in the right way and tweak exactly. them. You can adapt what you do. Yes, use the pro forma, but work out how you can make that part of the school process or even just part of a discussion. Don't just do them and never talk about them. Like what came out of them as a team? Yep. We all and across the board, we all have to do them in term one anyway. Yep. So why don't we make them something we actually look at, yep. rather than something we just file as a piece of paper or send as a hyperlink and never refer to again? No, it needs to be something purposeful. The intent of what they are is great. It's about how they how they're rolled out and mm. how they're utilised. Yeah, and that's not always communicated well by departments. This no. is the problem, like anything. But we can be clever. We can be clever. We can be. Um, What's the word? It's not succinct, but it's like, you know, we can use these to do a number of things that we mm. want to do. You know, exactly like you're saying here with your well-being and your identity and your your, your individualized goals and mm. your ability for your team leader to check in with your staff members. Mm. They ref- reflect back on this. Yep. Keep people incentivized. Yes, absolutely. Keep the profession, you know, improving. Mm. And, you know, we'll be talking about setting team goals and actions really soon. But the next point I wanted to raise was, you know, step six is to decide on a professional learning focus that's relevant 
and narrow. And this links back to what you were saying before in some of those more tokenistic or surface level um, wellbeing approaches is that, you know, many school leaders will be really eager to take on this heavy curriculum focus. However, staff and student wellbeing and positive behaviours, social, emotional learning and trauma-informed practice are likely to be the most practical for a number of schools. And while curriculum is important and it's our bread and butter, it's what we have to do, we must really traverse that territory alongside a focus on a highly functioning school um, with acceptable classroom and student management in place across the school. Otherwise, nothing sinks in. And it's a parallel is, approach. <laughs> that last episode we were talking about. Yep. Like, yep. Why bother with a huge curriculum focus if your kids are jumping off the walls? Like, narrow our, it. <laughs> I mean, our personal journey showed that we, we put the focus on well-being. We put mm. the focus on social and emotional understanding and social and emotional learning because that's what our students needed to be able to access the curriculum. Mm. You, you can't access that high level of learning and that uh, amazing curriculum if your students aren't ready to yeah. and if their well-being is not met. Yeah. It's a simple, simple equation. Mm. I work got to work on both. Far too many schools who are trying to do too many things, Mm -hmm. like they've got to focus on maths and English and inquire, and we'll talk about our experience with this too, and then like visible learning, you know, they're doing multiple things, but their staff are like, ah, help, like we're not not able to manage behaviours. And you don't, of course, throw out the curriculum, but you go, right, as part of our strategic goals, which a lot of the time is department directed around maths and English, what are our focuses there? Let's just focus on, you know, this area of literacy and this area of numeracy. And then how do we focus on student uh, behaviours or well-being or social emotional learning? Um, or for some, for some schools, trauma-informed practice, which ticks off so many boxes. So but we, we, we kind of try and do too many things. And I remember coming back from mat leave and us meeting to map out our vision for our three-year strategic plan. And we had so many things we wanted to do and we kind of, plotted them out visually on a on a big um, like graph over those three years and yeah, we could see we were trying to do way too many things yep. and it was getting confusing. So we went, well, right, let's pull it back and let's focus on this in literacy and this in numeracy and then our PBL. And l- next year we'll think about diving more into inquiry. We'll still dabble in it, but it won't be our big main focus, yep. for instance. Yeah, you have to have, again, that big picture understanding of what steps need to come first to mm. enable the building of the next elements mm. um, and that priority of knowing that once you have an environment that nurtures that learning, mm. which is the well-being and the individual needs of staff and students, then you're going to meet successes in terms of curriculum and learning yep. and development. And it comes back to when you do the scan and when you meet with your staff, if you've got so many staff saying, well, I'm really struggling with student management or I'm really struggling with maths, that's an area of focus. Well, if 70% of your staff are putting that forward to their leader that that's an area of focus for them for the year, well, there you go. That's what needs to be done. There's your, <laughs> there's your you know, professional learning focus and then you communicate Using the data, 75% of you had this as a goal, so this is why we're doing it. And for those 25% who didn't put that as their goal, they understand because the data's in front of them. Utilize them as coaches and learning professionals and increase their skills in that way. Yeah. But particularly after COVID, the main message is that we need to keep our focuses narrow and slowly rebuild um, and and have those main focus areas still do other little bits and pieces, but give staff permission almost to not dive into them as much as they are their, those focus areas. 
So the next step then, step seven, is to set team goals and actions. So team goal setting is an excellent way to focus on the professional development actions of our whole teaching team. And this was something we actually learnt through some consulting work that we did in terms of our literacy practice was setting those really good team goals um, when we were back at school. So setting those overarching team goals for the term, which are relevant to those priority areas or school strategic plans, and then identifying the appropriate actions steps required by all team members and um, ensures that we all have clear direction and steps to work towards and something we can reflect on each term. It kind of kills two birds with one stone. It's like, here's the vision. So we've gone from school strategic plan to what we're working on. These are the specific actions that we're all agreeing to. And then you get to reflect on it and celebrate your accomplishments and, um, and, and have that recognition for our staff and as a team as well, which is something that's often underutilized, I feel, in, in, in schools is team goal setting. And, and like you said, acknowledging the progress on that. I remember we set up on our um, communal space uh, in, outside of our, our um, PLC working areas. We actually set up our um, achievements that we were making towards mm. those strategic goals for, for the whole school. And then within our um our PLC areas, which was just kind of like staff eyes only, we had the individual goals and the progress that we were making towards them because staff needed to see that journey of this is why we're doing what we're doing for the reasons of getting to this point Mm. here. And it is a journey that we're building all these skills along. Mm. Um, But to see it is also that validation. Yes. And that's very important for staff to understand that they're achieving as they're going. Yeah, and it takes time and effort and reminders to keep coming back to that vision and communicating the progress but it's important again otherwise people just forget they're busy that's right and they're not forgetting because they're hopeless no it's just the nature of how things are we have so much going on nature of the profession yeah so the ways to do this are really again to identify those school strategic goals so like let's say for instance improve literacy outcomes um we generally have some kind of uh quite specific smart goal around that but then use an appropriate model or an approach to review the current skill levels of the team um, and and of staff and any areas for improvement so I'm thinking here like in some schools it might be guided reading for instance so that's what we're that's what we're sort of focusing our approach on and then setting that relevant goal as a team directly linked to that chosen model or approach so for instance it might be plan and implement sequential mini lessons um, for a specific Uh, reading strategy we're all agreeing that that's something that we're not all doing well or cohesively so let's all work towards doing that we agree on that as a team and then we assign those actions to meet the goal so that might be explore teaching resources maybe watch video trainings peer mentoring and then from there we keep coming back to well those are our goals for the term we're going to allow ourselves time to do that use our release time effectively. Um, And then at the end of the term, we review our progress. And, you know, a big thing that comes to mind here is that when I was doing this with my team, yes, we would be watching video trainings on, on like a suite of resources we had around literacy, but I would plan in our meetings or in our release times that we would watch that together. So it wasn't like you just go off in your own time and do it and then half the people do and half the people don't and then you get some frustration. It's, no, we allocate the time for you to have that professional development as a group and then we reflect on that. So it's how you can make sure that that's a universal, agreed-upon set of actions. Yeah. And working together as a team on something, you know, creates more purpose for everybody. There's, um, you know, the connectedness that comes from it and the shared 
understanding or the shared experience from everybody that contributes to well, that. It ensures that it happens too. Like we just we do get busy and things do come up. So if in your meeting you're doing some, working together as a team for 15 minutes to moderate a piece of work or to go on a learning walk, you've planned for it. It's not something you expect them to do outside of that time. No. You've got to be smart as a leader. Yep. All right, so step eight then is to plan some relationship building events. So social support and relationships in the workplace, of course, has such a protective effect against any mental health challenges and a decline in our staff's health and well-being. We know that. We talked about it so much in our our last episode. And really it's around thinking about in-school and out-of-school events that cater to the needs of everybody. So the research actually says that in-school is best. And now that doesn't mean that you get imaginary relief teachers to come in and relieve everyone across the school, but... Even in lieu of one staff meeting every term, we put in place some kind of team building opportunity or relationship building event that's in school hours because outside of school doesn't always reach everybody. It's not everybody's cup of tea. Um, But the in-school time, just once a term even, shows staff that you're prioritising those connections um, and, and them getting together and having a little bit of fun. But the other advantages is that it promotes an opportunity to develop shared memories, um, to be able to connect with people you wouldn't normally connect with. And it gives them something to talk about in the staff room, in the corridors, in their, in their classroom spaces. And it's so undervalued, but it really should be something that we're focusing on more into next term. So the general recommendation from me is to have one in school and one out of school opportunity each each term um, to try and make sure that we're kind of casting that wider net to make sure we're involving all of our staff and the opportunity to connect with one another. And as leaders leading from the front and being a part of these things yes. as well, it's so important to walk the walk next to those staff members Yeah, and to be a part of these elements that happen, not just say, go away and do this. Mm. Um, I mean, I can remember some of the funniest stories that, that we would reflect on come yeah. from those opportunities where yeah. we had this chance to talk openly and, and freshly with our with our you know, co-workers. Yeah, and be ourselves. Uh, and be ourselves. Yeah. What are some of the in-school, like, more team-building opportunities that you've engaged in in your time which you think were fun that are look, appropriate to talk about? Yeah. <laughs> I was, no. um, look, we did this great palette play. I mean, yeah, you remember that. That was fantastic. Was so good. Because we had a purpose to it as well, so we actually made furniture for the school to yeah. utilise in our playgrounds and stuff, and everybody loved it. What's it was... his name if people want to look him up from Palette Play? Oh, I have to Aaron. link it in the – yeah, I have to link it in the show notes. But that would be great. bringing old palettes and the teams the built – Wood kitchens for the kids. Everyone was using drills and hammers and nails and stuff that they didn't have experience yeah. with, and yeah. he was guiding everybody, and it was Well, it was you did. Fun. You wanted to be on your team, so you know what you're doing. <laughs> Some of us knew what was going on, but in general, we all produced yeah. something that was fantastic. Yeah, in and groups. done together. Yeah. You know, over yeah. a laugh. Yeah. I think back to as well during COVID when we did that trivia from home. So we ran the staff trivia. So we got all of staff to send in facts about themselves and then we did that. So everyone's at home um, can asking questions about individual staff members, which people aren't going to know um, the answer to, but it was just a way to bond us and yep. we're able to use that sort of um, breakaway room function. And people were showing their pets, like holding their pets up in front of the camera. Like there's just 
so many cool ways that you can bring your staff together and, and in, encourage those team building opportunities. Absolutely. Yeah. We had a great session down on the, on the lake one time too, where we just did a, we just did a walk together, you know, as mm. part of what we were doing for an afternoon's professional learning was part of our relationship building was to actually just get together and, and, you know, visit a nice place in nature and be present in that yeah. space and just go for a wander. Nothing crazy, nothing, you know, extravagant to organize, but really meaningful and really purposeful because it gave people yeah. the opportunity and the time to yeah. connect. Yeah, nothing like a good walk. Love it. <laughs> All right, so step number nine is to plan one staff physical health activity. So looking after our physical health has a direct impact on our mental health and reduces our risk of burnout. And teachers are some of those in in the working profession whose physical health is really suffering. So supporting the staff in your school to prioritize their physical health is really important as it helps to also build that community focus and support on improving our health and longevity. So many schools actually are beginning to adopt activities that promote good physical health. So from exercise challenges to reducing the promotion at reducing the consumption of, I guess, less than healthy foods or high sugar foods at school. But interestingly, I was actually talking with a principal in WA the other day where they're putting in gyms in schools. Love it. How cool is that? The staff are using their time when they yeah. can. Yeah. Brilliant. With all of the time that they have. But even if after school. You can go to the it's gym. An opportunity. Yeah, it's, people it's, have to pay to go to whatever. But if you have one at your school, imagine how many people. Would yeah, and I, I think back to some of the staff at our school who would go on walks together at lunchtime. Would sort of go out in that thirty minutes. Well, again, for me, one of the things that we did now in, um, in our PLCs was provide an opportunity to go for walks. Mm. You know, it was like okay, as a team, we're going to go and do this and this. Yeah. So that was you know a yeah, physical we just health activity. That. Yeah. You know, that's so right. fantastic. But it was it was you know. Time was dedicated to it and it was prioritised. Yeah, and we did that step challenge one year. So mm-hmm. everyone was sort of competing for how many steps they got. But then the clincher was that we had um, growth awards too. So somebody who did 1,000 steps in a day in their first week but then moved to 5,000 the next week um, did well because, they, of course, they're so super walkers. But it's just a way to bring people together and prioritise our health. And, you know, so often too in the in the morning tea rooms and staff meetings, they're, they're there are lots of lovely foods provided, but not always the most nutritious mm-hmm. and aren't the most conducive to long-lasting energy throughout the day. So even as part of your morning tea plans, if you're considering, okay, we've we've got a healthier option for our staff to be able to opt in for, I think, it, I, think well, I know is really wise. Mm-hmm. Love it. All right, so step number 10, our last one, is, of course, to book in a staff wellbeing professional learning workshop or opportunities. So upskilling your entire staff on ways to improve their health and wellbeing and prevent burn, sorry, and prevent burnout using positive psychology and the most up-to-date research across education, health, and mental health is so essential. And the research is showing that any training in positive psychology and mindfulness is only of benefit to our staff. So you can consider whether you book in a wellbeing workshop, either using someone like myself, but there are also lots of uh, free online options through things like BU, Beyond Blue, um, Heads Up, that for our staff to offer. And, and now there's all of these online learning platforms where, yes, you can you can sign all of your staff up and allocate them to do some English and, and, and maths uh, professional learning, but there's this plethora of well-being options now too, and this begins to upskill our staff in that very essential area of supporting themselves in order to be able to influence the well-being and the learning of their students as well. 
couldn't agree more. I mean, showing stuff that you're willing to dedicate time to something, you know, that is, is that is important, mm-hmm. and then you know, putting actual time in place to make that happen. I mean, um, without staff that are functioning at their at their best capacity, then mm-hmm. you know, we don't have a school that's going to function at its yeah. best capacity if our staff aren't. Yeah, but even like you, you kind of. Um, you're, you're supporting not only the students but also the staff when you also focus on things like social-emotional learning or trauma-informed practice because when you're learning how to support your students in that area, you're also focusing on yourself. True. So it's a way that you can also weave it in as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, if you're running a school scan and you can see a number of your staff are suffering, then of course it is going to make so much sense for you to include and weave in a wellbeing professional learning um, to tend to the needs of those of those staff. So it's all going to come back to the scan. I think our society demands it at the moment. Mm. That, you know, there is a lot of pressure that's happening, you know, the growing world. So, you know, the ability for people to have the opportunity to yeah. do that wellbeing checking yeah. and to follow through on those things that are going to make a, a difference to them is just vital. That, but that's it. It's all skills. I certainly didn't have the skills in the beginning in looking after my health and well-being. No. And it was only when all, all of the you know wheels came off the car that I had to learn it. Yep. And I was amazed in the matter of a couple of months just through learning a few different skills of how to prioritize myself and better manage my time, ensure mm. that I ate enough food and got a good mm. night's sleep basics like that how much it influenced my professional practice Mm -hmm. and this is obviously why i got into this is because it's like that's it's it gets kind of left off the curriculum even as even as kids and through school and and it's our duty as teachers to equip our students with those life skills but without um, without those skills of course that's why we're more likely to suffer from burnout Mm -hmm. and a lot of what the research is saying is that the more areas of your well-being that you're tending to, so whether that's your physical health or your social health or your financial health, whatever it might be, the less likely you are to experience burnout. And I always find that interesting when I go into a school and 50% of staff report that they're burnt out and the other 50% don't. What's the difference? Mm. I'm going to say 50% of the staff are likely to have more skills than the other 50%. Yep. Yeah, spot on. And yep. they've either hit rock bottom and climbed their way out or they were modelled excellent health and well-being as they grew up. And have good practices for yeah. that. Yeah, but you can change things. And this is why we need to offer those learning opportunities for our staff who don't have the skills and don't have the awareness. Yep, 100%. Yeah. Well, I think what you said is absolutely now because it's the core of being able to function effectively mm-hmm. is that, you know, is that well-being. Well, to be a person. Yep. <laughs> And we've lost our way in humanity now. We have so many competing responsibilities. We have financial concerns, issues with, you know, worries about family, disconnection from community, all of these things. Technology. Yeah, it's not natural. So you have to learn skills in being able to manage that and manage living in a modern day world. Yeah. That's, and a lot of the time the skills are just coming back to what it means to be a human, which is like crazy simple when you think about it. Crazy simple, <laughs> vitally important. Yes, it's finding that balance. All right, well, thank you so much, Rob, for joining me today to talk about the 10 things that we can do coming into 2023 to prioritise staff health, wellbeing, and, and really that aim on reducing staff burnout and making a difference um, coming into this year. Yeah, loved it. I loved yeah. it. And I think it is just such a important point for us to be front and centre with. It's um, It's crucial. Yeah, love it. See you next time. See ya. Thanks.
Thank you so much for joining Rob and I for this conversation today. As always, my team has put together the show notes for this episode, complete with all of the information and links that you need. These are available wherever you're listening to this podcast. If you're interested in receiving the support you need to implement each and every one of the strategies covered today, remember my signature school partnership program, Well-Led Schools, opens only once per term. Be sure to jump on the wait list to be notified of when doors are opening again by visiting adriannehornby.com.au forward slash school hyphen partnership. Thanks so much for listening to Well-Led Schools. I look forward to connecting with you at adriannehornby.com.au. Here you can get in contact with me, learn more about my approach and join my mailing list. I'm Adrienne Hornby. Thanks again for your time and stay well. <laughs>